Hello and welcome to Empire Builders, the place for entrepreneurs, business owners and experts who want to build an epic empire. I'm Nick James and thanks for joining me here today. So in this next section leading up until lunch, um, I'm going to share with you the four phases of building an expert empire. So this is the structure that allowed me to build four now and counting seven figure businesses. And I mentioned in my opening presentation the importance of structure. I've had a couple of conversations with you in the break. Um, Iram, where are you? Where's Iram? There she is. She was saying, yeah, that opening keynote, like the structure thing, the structure, the structure. So I've got the next two presentations I've got for you are kind of linked. So think of it as part one before lunch, part two after lunch. Um, But specifically in this one, I'm going to give you the structure that allowed me to build the four different seven-figure businesses. And the reason I think this is important is because The biggest mistake I see people make on the journey is that they're trying to run before they can walk. They're starting up, but behaving like they're scaling. Or they need to scale, but they're still behaving like they did when they were starting up. So in this presentation, I'm going to share with you, in my experience, having built four seven-figure businesses of my own, and also working with thousands of people in this industry, I'd I'd have to be an idiot if I didn't notice common threads and common trends. Um, And also not only working with thousands of people, but also being around a lot of success, being a member of a couple of different mastermind programs where I get around people that have built seven, eight-figure, multi-eight-figure businesses, some of whom are like the best-known influences in the UK. I've worked out from observing them, from my own experiences, from clients that I've worked with, the predictable path, if you like, from start to scale, from zero to seven figures and beyond. So that's what I'm going to share with you here. Um, I guess all of this began when I was 12 years of age in 1994, when my mum invited me to go to a Tony Robbins seminar in Hawaii. Now, I didn't really know anything about Tony Robbins, about personal development, but given the choice between Hawaii for two weeks or go to school for two weeks and stay with your nan, I love my nan, but it wasn't a difficult choice. And so me and my mum went to Hawaii, um, and she's an incredible woman, has massively impacted my life, um, you know, she was a single mum from when I was very, very little, um, and she's incredible um, and very, very grateful, very lucky that I was given the opportunity, which many young people don't. Um, and all I would encourage is parents in the room, raise your hand if you're a parent, parents in the room, like, if I could give you one encouragement and, you know, Gordon is doing it right now with his daughter, Gracie, here with him. Like, bring your kids, get them involved in, maybe not expert empires, probably a bit too much squaring, 
on stage for the young ones. My kids are here, actually. So I try and keep it PG as best I can. Um, Matt Elwell makes up for it. <laughs> and so does Gordon, quite frankly. Um, but my encouragement would be get, get your kids involved as much as you possibly can in the personal development journey as early as you possibly can as well. Um, and so, like I said, my first exposure was at a Tony Robbins event in 1994. Um, and I, I actually spent my teenage years from, like I said, the first event in Hawaii at 12 years of age all the way through into my early 20s. Me and my mum would travel all over the world, all over the States, Australia, the Far East, all over Europe, attending these Tony Robbins seminars. And um, she was actually a trainer for Tony's organisation and I attended and then ended up working a bit like, I guess, the team here that are supporting the event. I was one of the team that supported those events all over the world for many years. And it was funny that Dee mentioned, um, you know, the early days when we met 17 years ago at Andy's events and there was like the whole, you know, high energy dancing on stage thing. I don't really talk about this very often, but in the Tony Robbins days, at like 17 years of age, that was my job. So I'd fly all over the world, and my job was to like energize the audience before Tony Robbins came on stage. I was kind of Tony's warmer pat, if you like. <laughs> but, and it was a great experience. It got me used to, it got me comfortable being in front of a room of people. Um, I remember doing it in London. Uh, this would have been what? Probably... 2000, something like that. Um, there was like 10,000 people there. And I was tasked with like warming them up. I was like 18 years of age. But it was an incredible experience. One that I'm, like I said, thankful to my mum. Extremely, extremely grateful for. And I ended up crewing or being a counsellor on a kids camp. So Tony Robbins used to have a thing called Discovery Camp. Um, and uh, I was actually flown over to San Diego to be one of the coaches, one of the counsellors on Discovery Camp. And that was me with all the other, the other counsellors at that event. And I remember being at this event for like five days and there was all these teenagers and like I was coaching them and developing them and supporting them. And I was like, this is it. This is what I'm meant to do. I don't know if you can recall that moment or that time for you when you realised this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And so I came back from San Diego, at, I'm guessing probably 18, 19 years of age, um, and I decided to be or to become the UK's number one youth coach. Within the first three months, I'm wondering if you can guess how many clients I managed to get in the first three months. What do you reckon? Who said zero? Thanks for the vote of confidence. I actually managed to get one client, and it was, it was a young girl, teenage girl, who was really struggling with mental health. Um, and it was a recommendation from my mum. Like, this is how bad my marketing and sales skills were. I was getting paid, I can't remember, it was probably like 300 pounds a month to coach this girl, who, by the way, lived in York, so by the time I got the train from Birmingham to York twice a month to coach her, I was probably paying for the privilege of being a coach, which is a really bad business model. And so ultimately, I failed with that business 
because I didn't have a structure to follow. I'd learned how to be a great coach. I'd studied NLP. I'd been around the Tony Robbins world for a long time. I'd, I'd worked on my own mindset and my energy, but I didn't know anything about the structure of how to start and build and grow and scale a business. So ultimately, I failed because of a lack of structure. And I ended up taking a job in sales, as Dee mentioned. I was working for a guy called Andy Harrington. Um, and over, I always credit Andy massively with my success and the part he played in it because over a couple of years working in Andy's business, um, I learned what it is to start and grow and build and scale a business. I learned about sales. I learned about marketing. I, I learned a lot about speaking. I learned a lot of entrepreneurial skills. Um, I often talk about for, for young people who want to become a business owner, become an entrepreneur, I would advise, because it certainly worked for me, the best, the best thing I could advise is go and work in a small entrepreneurial organization where you can, you can get up close and personal with the business owner. I was fortunate. There was only like four or five of us in that business. So I saw everything that happened on marketing and everything that happened on sales and everything that happened with the logistics and the events and everything that happened on the finances. I learned from a lot of mistakes that Andy made as well in that business. So I really think that sometimes taking a job to learn isn't defeat. It's actually a smart move um, because you're learning and you're getting paid to learn. Like That is a good deal for everybody concerned. But ultimately, without that structure, I do believe that we are all destined to fail unless we have structure in all of our areas of life. We're talking here about structure in your business, but health and fitness, if you don't have a structure for your health and fitness, you will fail. You need a structure for exercise and training, a structure for what you're going to eat and when you're going to eat it, um, structure in place for getting well rested and sleeping. All of these things contribute to the outcome or the success in the area of health and fitness. Without structure, we might train or exercise occasionally, but it's not consistent. And consistency is the key. Same with finance, money, investing. Like I see so many people now investing in things they don't understand. And it worries me because, quite frankly, if you're investing in, let's say, and I'm not anti it, if you're investing in cryptocurrency but you don't understand it or you don't have a structure to follow, it's very easy because it's so volatile. It's very easy to lose money. But if you understand how it works and you've got structure, then you're more likely to succeed. Same thing with family and relationships. It's very easy, especially when you're busy in your business, it's very easy to drop the ball, to forget to put time and energy and focus into the people that matter most to you. So having structure in your family life will more likely give you the result you want. Of course, we're talking a lot here about your business, in your career, having structure to succeed. And, um, and Ryan Pinnock, um, my business partner in Super Genius, who's going to speak tomorrow, is going to give you some structure around how you can have more success mentally, emotionally, spiritually. I believe that you need structure in all of these areas of life if you're going to succeed. So I believe also that success, if you achieve it without some kind of structure, is just called luck. 
Because unless it's a structure, it's not repeatable. You might have some success, but it will be short-lived unless there's a structure to follow. And in 2008, I discovered a structure to get me from zero to 100,000 a year in revenue fairly quickly. Took me a couple of years to get to that level, but I'm going to share that first structure with you now. Out of interest, raise your hand, please, if your business is currently sub 100,000 a year in revenue. So raise your hand nice and high if you're currently sub 100,000 a year in revenue. So th this bit is highly relevant to you. Um, and I think what I'm going to share might be a little bit contradictory to conventional wisdom or what you might have been told, which might challenge some of your beliefs, but also might be a big relief to you. So... There are four phases of growing a business. And by the way, this is relevant to the expert industry. You know, if you're running a manufacturing company um, or a hairdressing salon, some of this stuff might be relevant, but this has been created from 14 years experience that I've had in the expert industry as a coach, consultant, speaker, trainer, etc., etc. Hey, real quick, if you've been listening to the Empire Builders podcast for any length of time, you'll know that I do not run ads on this podcast. And what you should also know about me is that I only partner with companies who I absolutely 100% believe in. And so I'm making an exception because of my partnership and my loyalty to Keep. So since 2010, I've been using Keep, which was previously known as Infusionsoft, to automate all the sales and marketing in my business, deliver world-class experience to my clients, run e-commerce reports, manage affiliates, partners, and loads more. I really believe that Keep is the best CRM on the planet for small businesses, for entrepreneurs that are building their empire. Many of my guests on this podcast use it, and pretty much all of my closest friends in the industry also use it. That should speak volumes. So uh, Infusionsoft recently rebranded to keep, K-E-A-P, and what they've also done is brilliantly made it even more affordable, even more usable for businesses that are at different stages of their journey. So to go and get a free demo, all you need to do is go to keep.com, that's K-E-A-P, keep.com forward slash empire builders, and by using that link, I've negotiated the best possible deal for Empire Builders subscribers. So go to keep.com forward slash Empire Builders. You get a free demo, and when you go through that unique link, it means you'll get the best possible deal because you're a subscriber of this podcast. So let's get back to the show. So the first phase of building your business is what I call the startup phase. And you'll know you're here, as I said, if you're anything from zero up to about 100,000 a year in revenue, there are two things that you should prioritize and focus on. Two things. Before I tell you what they are, you do not need a fancy website, as Gordon already shared. You do not need to spend fortunes or, frankly, any money on advertising. You do not need complex funnels 
and campaigns. Raise your hand if this is a relief to you, if you're in this category. Look, I'm telling you this, you don't need any of these things, but I know this to be true from A, my own experience in 2008, but B, also working with hundreds of people to support them through this phase of the journey. I see people spending time and energy and frankly a lot of money on things that they don't need to spend that time, energy and money on. So there are two things that you prioritise in phase one. The first one is you absolutely must specialise. So remember in the first session I said one of the reasons your business might be underperforming is a lack of clarity and consistency of message. The counter to that is to specialise. And there are three questions that you can answer that will help you clarify your specialist statement, as we call it. So there are three questions. The first one will help you identify who are your people. So the question, you might want to write this down in your notes, the question you should ask yourself is who specifically is this for? Who specifically is this for? And the more specific you can get with the answer, the better. G Gordon's a great example of this. Gordon is basically, if you don't mind my saying, a business coach. However, there are a lot of business coaches in the country, in the world. Um, Jay, you have the data. How many coaches, business coaches are there? 82,000 business coaches registered in the UK. So it's saturated. 82,000 business coaches. But Gordon has built a multi-six-figure coaching business without a website or spending any money on advertising because he's not just a business coach, he specialises on serving a certain group of people called martial arts school owners. So the first thing that will help you specialise is to ask who specifically is it for? That's question number one. The second question, which will help you clarify this, and it's way easier to answer question two if you've already answered question one, is what is their biggest pain or problem? What is their biggest pain or problem? And when you know who you're talking to, it's much easier to answer that question. What's the biggest pain or problem? Remember what I said earlier, you've got to sell people what they want and give them what they need. No one wants a business coach, a life coach. No one wants a personal trainer. No one wants to buy an online course, but they want a solution to their biggest pain or problem. Then the third question, which will help you identify what your promise is. The question is, what's the one thing they want more than anything? What's the one thing they want more than anything? Or what's their desired outcome? So since we're using Gordon as an example, 
and a great example at that, I might say. Um, we did a lot of work on this messaging early on, and we realized that getting to 100 members or adding 100, was it adding 100 members? It was adding 100 members to their school was like sweet spot of messaging because if they were already at 100 or 200 members, they'd be like, yeah, great, I want to add 100 members. If they were starting at zero, they're still saying, yeah, I'd love to have 100 members. So the messaging worked no matter what part of the journey they were on. So Gordon's messaging was primarily around the promise, the 100 members or the 100 additional members, but he couldn't have done that well unless he'd have had clarity on the people. What promise, think about this, if he was just a generic business coach, what promise is he making? Grow your business. Like, everyone in this room would probably say, yeah, I want to grow my business, but if you're a martial arts school, and we're talking about adding 100 members, that message is way more powerful. Agree, yes or no? Yeah. Way more powerful because it's more specific. So in phase one, you have to specialize and get that message as tight as you possibly can. Ask yourself, who are your people? The more specific you can get with that, the better. What's the biggest pain or problem they have? What's the one result they want more than anything? The second key priority when you're in phase one. And I'm not saying there aren't other things, but if all you did was these two things, you'd be in pretty good shape. The second thing you've got to focus on is sales. Again, I already spoke about it earlier. One of the biggest reasons um, why most businesses are underperforming, especially in our industry, is either they can't sell or they avoid the sales conversation. So we have to master this. Of course, Matt's going to talk about this a little bit later. I'll tell you exactly what I did in phase one that worked because I already told you what didn't work. I decided to become the number one youth coach in the country. I got one client, which was a referral from my mum, because I didn't know what I was doing. So in 2008, how I applied this, and I didn't know this then, no one taught me this, but looking back, what worked, um, I'd been working in... Um, Andy Harrington's company, which was like an NLP training company for a couple of years. And I'd learned how to sell and I'd learned how to speak. But the skill I'd learned that I was really good at was writing copy. So writing sales letters, email campaigns, marketing materials. And of course, I'd been around Tony Robbins since I was 12 years of age. I'd worked in this NLP training company for a couple of years. So I went, right, who's the group of people that I want to support, work with, have become clients. Well, obviously, it would make sense if they were NLPers, coaches, because I already know a lot of those. Secondly, what's the biggest pain or problem that I can solve for them? They're rubbish at marketing. They don't know how to craft an email campaign, a sales letter, a marketing message. So I'll just do it for them. So... That was essentially my specialization, what I did. And the way I sold it, no website, no ad spend, all the things that Gordon already shared. I bought tickets to attend as many NLP and coaching events and conferences as I could. So let's say I went to a NLP conference and there's 100 people there. 
in the breaks, at lunch, at the bar in the evening, what do you do? You have conversations. I'm sure you've had them already while you've been here. Today, you go, what do you do? So I'd say to somebody, what do you do? And they go, I'm an NLP practitioner. What do you do? I go, I write copy that helps NLP practitioners get a lot more clients. And they go, yes, please. Where have you been all my life? That was it. That was my market and monetize my message strategy in 30 seconds. Super simple. No need for a website. No need for ads. No need for a complex funnel. I decided who my people are and what their biggest pain or problem was that I could solve. Equally, you could do what Gordon does. Who my people and what's the result they're looking for more than anything. And then I just made sure I got myself in the right environment. Year one, this is my early 20s, year one, we did 53,000, I think, in sales. Uh, year two was not quite 100,000, but not far short. With no website, no ad spend, no funnels, none of that nonsense, just these two things. That was it. So my suggestion in phase one is to keep it super simple. Keep it as simple as you possibly can. Get the message nailed and then put yourself in the right environment where you can have sales conversations. The training that Matt's going to give you a little bit later on is all about exactly what to say and how to have those conversations. I guarantee if I'd known in 2008 what I know now around sales conversations that I've learned from Matt, I would have gone from zero to 100K in like six months. It took me a couple of years, but I could have done it in six months much, much more quickly with that training. But, sod's law, once I got started, in other words, I kind of succeeded in phase one, I then got stuck for a few years. 2008, 2009, 2010, I got stuck and I couldn't seem to break beyond that around about 100,000 a year in revenue because what gets you here won't necessarily get you there. So as you sit here today, what got you and your business to the stage you're at now, not only won't get you to the next phase of growth, I'm sorry to say, it's actually a bit worse than that. What got you here will prevent you and hold you back from getting there. So my, essentially, my strategy of going to events, having conversations, and then delivering the service that I was delivering, that got me where I wanted to get to, but it stopped me getting any further. Because there was only so many hours in the day, days in the week, weeks in the month, where I could go out, meet people, have conversations, and deliver the service. I was exchanging time for money, which is okay in phase one. I think a lot of times people talk about that exchanging time for money is a bad thing and it's a bad business model. It's better than having no money. And it's, for me, the fastest, the easiest, the best way to get started. So phase one, specialise and sell. I got stuck for a few years and then discovered what phase two looked like, which allowed me to grow to multi-six figures. So phase two is what I call the build phase. So you shouldn't do what I'm about to tell you unless 
you're already around about 100,000 a year or more in revenue. But if you're already around that, then this is for you. And if you're not yet, this is still useful because this is like a future pace. Look at what you should be doing next. So there are two priorities in phase two that you should focus on. And phase two's really the, the, the build from 100,000 a year to about half a million. The numbers aren't an exact science, but these are kind of like generalizations that I've made over the last 14 years of doing this. So in phase one, all you're really trying to do is prove the concept. All Gordon was trying to do in phase one was go, are there martial arts school owners that will pay me money to help them get a, an additional 100 members? Fortunately, the answer was yes. So that's proof of concept. Then in phase two, it's like, right, now we need more people to know about it. In other words, marketing. So only in phase two would I then look at advertising spend. Only in phase two would I start looking at things like funnels. Only in phase two would I start looking at things like having a product staircase that people can ascend through. Would not do that in phase one either. I'd stick to one product or service. But in phase two, you start marketing your message so that you can attract more opportunities, more leads, more inquiries. Once you've proven the concept, then you need to share it with more people. Raise your hand if you feel and you know that you've got content or expertise or skills that can make a big impact and that can help a lot of people. Raise your hand nice and high if you know you've got that. Keep it in the air if you feel that not enough people know you exist. Okay, I've now got more hands that have gone up. So, so here's, here's what that means. What it means is, first of all, there's nothing more common in our industry, only pretty much everybody in the room. There's nothing more common in our industry than unrewarded expertise. The bad news is, just because you're an expert, just because you've got great content, great information, just because you've got the potential to make a massive impact and change people's lives, doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be financially rewarded for doing so. And I know, speaking from personal experience, the gap was a lack of structure in the business. Like I said, when I decided to become the UK's number one youth coach, I'd been studying coaching and personal development and NLP and immersing myself in it since I was 12 years of age. Yet, the only client I managed to get paid me a pittance and it was a recommendation from my mum. I was like this as well back then. The second thing it means is that probably what you've got is a profile or reputation issue. In other words... Not enough people know who you are. Remember what I said right this morning. It's consistently communicating the message clearly. That's probably what's missing, i.e. the marketing bit. Now, I'm not saying that's not relevant for all phases because it is. I think it's ultimately most relevant in phase two. So the first thing you've got to nail in phase two is marketing. All the tactics, the social media stuff, the funnels, a bit, um, you know, probably start spending some money on advertising. All of that 
is necessary at phase two so that you can redress this balance. The second thing that you should be focusing on in phase two is money, specifically management of your money. This was probably the first... When I look back, I did a good job of specialising. I did a fairly good job of selling. I did quite a good job of marketing. Ah, this was the bit where I came unstuck. I was rubbish at managing the money. And that held me back for two reasons. One, one of my, I get asked this a lot. What's your, your biggest regret or what advice would you give yourself if you were looking back now? I didn't invest enough in growth, specifically in marketing. And the reason was because I was rubbish at managing money. I was spending it on stuff I didn't need, which held me, held our business back. The second reason was not only did I not invest enough in growing from a marketing perspective, I also didn't invest in growing the team. So for many years, um, our office was in the spare room of my house. Um, we then graduated to the garden shed. It wasn't really a shed, but because I didn't want to invest in the infrastructure to grow. So my regret is that I didn't do that stuff sooner because I wasn't very good at managing the money. Like I said to you before, it's feast and famine. And if you can relate to that, if you can relate to that feast and famine, and sometimes we're going good, and then sometimes it's not so good. Some months we've got money, some months we're really tight. If, that's, if that resonates with you, then that would be an indicator that this area is a, a gap for you that you need to improve on or master. So in phase two, uh, raise your hand if you're in phase two. You're somewhere between 100 and half a million, 100,000 a year to half a million. Yeah, so for you with your hands in the air, the likelihood is um, the two priorities, it's probably one or the other or both, are marketing and mastering the money. But, Sod's Law, once I'd got that nailed, damn it, I got stuck again. Because again, what gets you here won't get you there. In fact, it's worse than that. It'll actually hold you back. So when I mastered marketing and money, I then got stuck because... I wasn't ready and I wasn't doing the things that you have to do in phase three. So as I said, in 2014, it was absolute chaos and confusion in my business because I was doing marketing campaign after marketing campaign nonstop. The team didn't know, the two people in the team didn't know whether they were coming or going. I was going to seminars, learning loads, coming back, telling them to drop everything. This time next year, we're going to be millionaires, all of that. Um, this is actually a photo of... Um, this is the shed, as it was affectionately known. It wasn't really a shed, it was an outbuilding. But it had wood panels on the outside, so it definitely had shed-esque qualities. And so the team referred to it as the shed. And this was where we worked out of for a few years, but it was absolute chaos and confusion and overwhelm for me, for the team. And as I said to you before, it was in 2014 when I went and learned about the structure that got me ultimately to seven figures. And the two priorities, the two things that I learned in 2014 that made the biggest difference. So this is phase three. This is what I call the growth phase, which is how you get from circa half a million in revenue to about two million. The first thing you've got to focus on and you've got to invest in is people. Specifically, I mean 
people in your team. Like you can probably get to around about between 100 and 500,000 a year in revenue, either on your own or with virtual assistant, like a bit of external help, maybe working with a couple of an agency or two to support. But if you want to go to seven figures, you need to start building a proper infrastructure and in involving people, recruitment, management, training, ensuring that those people also have processes to follow. Because the chances are up until that point, the business will have been reliant upon you as the salesperson, you as the head of marketing, you as the person that does product development, you as the person that looks after the clients, looks after the customers, delivers the service, you the person that manages the finances, all of those things and if you're then going to bring somebody else in or other people in to do some of those things, they better have a process to follow. So taking the things that have worked in phase one and phase two, turn them into systems and processes so that others can replicate success is the main thing, the main focus that will get you to phase three up to a million, two million. And then phase four, which I only really started talking about recently as we're now firmly established as a business in this phase. Phase four is then scale. So this is how you go from a couple of million to 10 million plus and full transparency. We're not at 10 million yet in annual revenue, but we will be soon. And so what I'm realizing is the key priorities here. It's funny, we're not even doing much different from a marketing perspective or a sales perspective than we were when we were in phase two or phase three. The tactics haven't changed that much. What has changed dramatically, and this is where we've had to invest a lot of time, energy and money, is first of all, the culture. So creating an environment for the people that you've brought in in phase three, creating a culture that allows them to, to thrive. I'm going to give you a little bit in this afternoon, part two of this presentation, I'm going to give you a little bit of some of the structure that I've used to create that culture. I feel like even if you're not in phase four yet, doing the work in phase two and phase three is still um, helpful because it creates the, the structure that then people can come into and remain part of and become part of the process. So creating a culture where people can thrive, it, it, what that means is the success of the business isn't solely reliant upon you. A great culture means that the processes, the marketing, the money management, the sales, all get looked after and executed at a high level without you having to be there. So the team that I introduced earlier on stage, our leadership team, they are responsible for owning each of those categories. So frankly, even though I get to look like the smart one and get all the glory, frankly, they're the ones that are leading it all and doing the work, which allows you to scale. Because if I have to lead sales and I have to lead marketing and I have to manage finance and I have to do all of that work, we can't scale. I become the bottleneck. And then the final thing that... And we haven't done loads of this, but it's become obvious to me as I've studied um, 
other businesses that have scaled to eight figures to nine figures, that something that seems to be a common thread is injections of capital. Because often what will happen is the um, cash flow will become a bottleneck. It will become a hindrance. I'm not saying you can't scale without injections of capital. What it means is you can do it faster. And so we haven't done loads of this, but we have had some external funding. Um, probably the first time I did that, I didn't really do anything until about two years ago. And then I was like, right, I want to double down on infrastructure. I want to double down in investing in growth. And so the external capital, the external investment supported us in being able to do that. So those are the four phases of growth. Like I said, this is kind of part one of this presentation and part two will be this afternoon where I'm going to take you through the structure, which is relevant for all phases, by the way. What this does is hopefully it signposts the key priorities for you. Raise your hand if you've got more clarity now than you did when you walked in this morning on what your key priority should be given the phase of business that you're in. Raise your hand nice and high. That is the intention for this session. So what I'd like to do in the short bit of time we've got before we take lunch is I want to tell you how we can help you implement this structure in your business as quickly as possible. So full disclosure, full transparency. If you've been with me at our events before, you know how I do business. I'm not a fan of waiting till like the 11th hour and then doing some big, hypey, convoluted pitch and then you've got to rush to the back of the room waving your credit cards around like some kind of nutter. Here's what I like to do. Like, we're all adults here, right? So, well, most of us. Um, what I'd like to do is tell you what we've got. Here's how we can help you if you want to work with me, with us, beyond Expert Empires. And then over the next day and a half, if you want to have a conversation with me or with one of the team about how that might work and whether or not we're a good fit, then you can do that. And if you don't want to, you don't have to. What this will also do, I hope, is it will serve as an example for you. Raise your hand if you have an intention or you already do have some kind of group program, a group coaching program, a mastermind, something like this. You've already got one, or you'd like to have a structure like that in your business. Raise your hand if you'd like to do that, or you have. Great. So for you, hopefully, this will give you an idea as well of, here's how you might structure a program. I've been doing this for 10 years, so we've ironed out all the kinks, and um, I'd like to think perfected it. So here's how we can help you if you'd like to work with us beyond these two days. So we have three different mastermind programs and they're built based on phase one, phase two, phase three. We're just about to start one for phase four. So the 100K mastermind is for experts who are not yet making 100,000 a year, but they've got a business. So to be clear, in order to qualify for the 100K mastermind, you've already got to have expertise. You've already got to have some clients, some income. So you're not starting with zero, I don't know what I'm doing. And in, in the 100K Mastermind, we focus on specializing and selling. These are the two priorities that you should focus on. So nailing your specialist positioning, answering these three questions, getting your specialist statement nailed, clarifying 
packaging and pricing, what you should be offering, how much should you be charging, all these things that I know trip people up and they're not sure about, this is the work we do in 100K Mastermind. We also work with you to help you become world-class at turning opportunities, uh, conversations into opportunities, and then mastering the sales and closing process like I did when I went to the NLP and coaching conferences. I wasn't brilliant at it, but I was able to have a conversation with somebody and move them through a process which ultimately ended in them becoming a client. So this is the work we do in 100K Mastermind for phase one businesses. For phase two businesses, our six-figure mastermind is for experts. You've already got to be doing 100,000 a year in revenue to qualify for this program. So that's the entry criteria. Um, and of course, the intention is that you get to multi-six figures up to four, 500,000 a year in revenue. And this is much more about raising your profile, building your audience, building your database, um, becoming an authority on social media, selling and delivering one-to-many, so running live events either offline like we do here or online, could be small number workshops, equally doesn't have to be hundreds of people, getting you to delegate the low value tasks. Remember what I said about these things here, these 10 pound tasks, the things that will keep you small. So in phase two, we work on delegating those low value tasks, recruiting, managing, training people to do those, and really mastering marketing and monetizing your message through running launches. Um, we've got 10 different campaigns that we've built that are tried, tested, and proven to work, which are relevant for phase two businesses. We give you those campaigns so you can copy and paste them. So they're, they're pretty much guaranteed to work because they're tried and tested. And then seven-figure mastermind, which is um, only for, for people that are already doing more than half a million a year in revenue. That's the entry criteria. And they want to get to seven figures, to multi-seven figures. The, the members of seven-figure mastermind range from Absolute minimum 500,000 a year in revenue up to, I think the biggest business in Seven Figure Mastermind now is about 17 million a year. So we've got some real good quality heavy hitters in Seven Figure Mastermind. And of course there, we're looking at people, processes, and some of the work that I talked about earlier on culture and capital. So implementing systems, processes in place to allow you to scale. Expanding the team, creating culture, Scaling the marketing and sales operations, so bringing other people in who can do the marketing for you and then being able to direct them. Same thing with sales. So we've now got five full-time salespeople in our organization, so I'm not the one doing all the selling all the time. And really mastering the strategic planning process. I'm going to talk a little bit later to you about this afternoon and managing the finances so that you can scale, that you can manage the cash flow effectively. Okay, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to Empire Builders. Please subscribe, leave us a review on Apple, on Spotify, on other platforms, and uh, share the love, tell your friends. Remember till next time, the more you connect, the more you collect.